We're in this series within a series out of the book of Mark where we're just saying, who is this man? Because the, the, Jesus came to a, a point with his disciples where, where really it was a transition. It was a, a midway point in his ministry where now he's turning to the cross. He's turning to the ultimate purpose that he came to this earth for. And he's leading them there. But he asks his disciples a question that all of us have to answer today. It's found in Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 27. If you'll turn there in the Word today, someone asked a pastor, why? Why do you have your Bible up here? You read off your iPad. I'm like, my iPad has much bigger font than my Bible. Can I get a yes to that for those whose uh, eyes may not be as strong as they used to? But I always have this here unless God just leads me to another passage that he wants to bring out for us. But in Matthew 8, 27, it says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Lord, I ask you today, Father, Lord, in a, a day where there is a lot of activity, God, in our service that all points to you, I pray we can focus in on this moment, God, and we can allow your Holy Spirit to bring your word, God, and make it alive in us today, God. Father, I, I, I sense this need today, God, Lord, of the word that's going to be spoken, Lord, because it will change people's lives, oh God, if we will put our faith in you, Lord. So God, guide us today in your word and let us be open to what you would say say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who is this man? Who is this man? We live in a day where that is being debated even still. From the day he left this earth and returned to heaven, it's been debated. Who is this man? Is he, is he the Messiah that was longed for? Is he, is he a biblical teacher? Was he a good man? Or, or is he God? And, and throughout the centuries, it seems like culture's been all over the place. And today we find ourselves in all the mishmash of our culture where, where it's hard to define anything anymore. But yet Jesus needs to be defined in our lives. It seems like there's almost these two extremes that are, that are battling in our culture today. There's the, what I call the Mr. Rogers Jesus that just loves everybody but challenges nobody. It's, it's the come give me a hug Jesus, but yet don't change your life. And then the flip side is the other extreme is what I call the culture warrior Jesus, who's just ticked off at everybody and everything, and let's just go pick at everybody that's not exactly the way we think they ought to be. If that's the case, we can't be with anybody. No longer are we witnessing, we're just trying to win. And he didn't call us to win because he's already won. He didn't call us to reign over this earth. He called us to come under and serve so that others may know who the King of kings and Lord of lords is. And last week we talked about something so critical in this image of the Lord because just like then as it is now, people like to label Jesus in certain ways. And, and we read the story of Nicodemus where he came to Jesus at night and Nicodemus tried to label Jesus, maybe in the way that some of you have. And that was, he says, I know that you are a good teacher sent from God. I, I know you're a good teacher sent from God. And Jesus' response to Nicodemus is the same response we have to have today. He says, that's great, but you must be born again. In other words, what he was saying was, Nicodemus, there's not some truth I'm going to share with you that some form of philosophy or another way of looking at life that's going to truly transform you. There's only one thing that will transform you, and that is recognizing I am the Son of God, and you must be born again by having faith in what I'm going to do for you. And church, it's the same today. 
You may have come today and you're looking for some truth. You're, lo you're looking for maybe a, a twist on the way to see life that somehow makes sense to you. Can I tell you, it does not make sense to me that our God would send his one and only son to die a cruel death on a cross to pay the price for sins that, that I committed, not him. And then on the third day, raise him up again to new life. And now him seated high in the heavens making intercession. That makes no sense at all. But that's exactly what our God did. And the only way my life is transformed and your life is transformed is not by saying, I understand that, but it's by saying, God, I submit my life to that. And I choose God for you to have me born again. He is the son of God. We must submit to our Lord. And it teaches us something so important. And that is what he was doing for Nicodemus. He wants to do for us now. We, can, we tend to look for earthly solutions to spiritual matters. We, we tend to look for a quick fix for what can only be made whole when we are made whole in Christ. And we think things are far from us. Oh, oh, that, 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 that brokenness in my life from when I was a child, I just never can seem to get past that. It'll always be my identity. Or, or the, those, those sinful habits that are destroying and, and people will say, it's just, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm just always angry or I'm just always this or that. And, and we, we begin to excuse it instead of coming to the King of Kings who made us and said, God, you can fix that. But the only way you can fix that is if I'm yours. It's not just knowing some truth or some trick, God. It's being born again. We see that in so many areas of our life, whether it's our addictions or marriage problems. They just seem beyond us. But they're not beyond our God. And he sent, the son of, he sent his son Jesus, the son of God, to give us the answer. And he says we must be born again. We must surrender our lives to Christ and proclaim him as Lord of all. And today I want to build on that because there's a second title that Jesus spoke to about himself. And it was this. He says, not only am I the son of God, but I'm the son of man. And oh, it's so critical we understand this church. It's so critical we understand this. He said, I am the son of man. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, it's more important to know who he is to me than it just is to know who he is. It's like studying a historical figure and say, well, I, I know who Abraham Lincoln is. That's, you know, and we can go through all of that. But, but who is he to me? Well, one greater than anyone who ever walked this earth came as the son of God. And he asked us today, who do you say I am? Who am I in your life? Because knowing that is more important than just knowing who he is. Because we're not careful. We get caught up in the culture. And Jesus becomes nothing more than a, than a diamond studded cross hung around the neck. An instrument of torture and crucifixion that just becomes an accessory. Or he becomes nothing more than a social media handle that, 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 that has nothing to do with what we post. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to hate everybody. Who is Jesus to you? Is he an identity that brings, makes you part of the club? Or is he the king of kings and lord of lords? Is he your savior? Or is he just someone that speaks into your life and makes you feel better about this life? And the reason it's so important is this. We may struggle at this point to say, I can articulate that, but there will come a day where every creator, every creation of God, every human that's ever lived will answer this question. You see it in the book of, uh, of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 will be on the screen. It says that there will be a day that at that day, every, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Help me out. Lord, Lord, not a good man, 
Not a good teacher. Not somebody I want to hang out with. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, church, Jesus is coming back. And we will answer that day. We will know who he is. And I pray before then we settle it in our minds and our hearts and we say, he is my everything. He is my, he is my Lord, my God, my King, my Savior, and it changes everything about me. He says, I am the Son of Man. In fact, 69 times in the gospel, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. In fact, Jesus himself on a few occasions used that title for himself to lay out some very important truths for our lives. In fact, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. From the get-go, he laid it out. He says, Look, I'm here to serve. I'm here to point you to God. I'm here to help you see my Father. I'm here to help you understand life. It is a serving that God sent his Son to do and to give his ransom for our lives. In Luke 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And we should say, praise God for that. Amen. Because how many know that you were lost and now you've been found in Christ? Amen. Amen. A few of you. That's good this morning. By the end of the service, I hope it's all of you. Guys, because Jesus didn't come looking for those who got it all together. He, he, he told the Pharisees, he says, look, it's the sick that need a doctor, not those that are well. And what he was saying to them is, he wasn't saying, Pharisees, you don't need me. He says, you just need to recognize you do need me. And only when you recognize that, then you will find me. But otherwise, I've come to those who are trying to bring it all together. To those who are struggling, to those who are trying to make sense of this life. He said, that's who I've come to save, that which is lost. There was a fairly recent study by the Barna Group. If you're not familiar with the Barna Group, they, they're probably the best at, at, at statistics and polling and understanding the heart of religion in America. And sadly, the, the last several uh, studies they've done are, are not pointing in good directions. But a few years back, they asked this question. They said, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? And it was interesting in that moment that the people that responded to their question, 90% of them said, we believe Jesus was human. In other words, we believe the Bible is not a fairy tale. We believe there was a real person called Jesus Christ of Nazareth that walked this earth. And, and we can look at that and say, well, that's good. You, you believe he was a human. But out of that 90%, 50% of those said, but we don't believe he was God. He was just a good man. Just a good teacher. He was martyred. He was left. And 50% again said they, they also don't believe that he was perfect. But can I tell you, if you are a follower of Christ or if you're looking for the truth that is found in Christian faith, you must understand he is absolutely all three of these things. He was human. He was God. And he is perfect. And today I want to show you this in the word of God and why it matters to us. And the first thing is simply this. He came and was human. In, in, in Hebrews 2.14, it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Everything you experience, He did. 
Everything you go through, he has understanding because he came as flesh and blood, just like us. Sometimes we have a hard time with this. Jesus had a human body. Can, I, can you witness to that today? And, and we can look at that and that says, well, then he experienced everything we do in these human bodies. Both the temptation and the blessing, both the strength and the weakness, all that we experience, he experienced. There were times where he cried out. He says, I'm thirsty. Here's God who, who created the heavens and the earth saying, would somebody give me a drink, please? There were, there were times he called out. He says in Matthew 4, 2, he said, I'm hungry. And, and there was another time when he said, you know what? I'm just tired. I got to sit for a minute here. This is, this is getting a little, little old walking out here in the heat. Guys, he was human in every way we are. And we recognize that. And why is it important? Again, we have to see this to understand it this morning. He had a human body, but he also had a human mind. He had to process his thoughts. He had to wrestle with anxiety like we do. He had to understand that life sometimes can overwhelm us with choices and opportunities. And we were caught in the middle of how do we choose those things. But yet this human mind that he had was stressed like ours many times. In fact, there was a point when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says he was praying so earnestly that literally he was overwhelmed to the point where even his sweat was turning into blood because his mind was so troubled by what was going to happen in his life. There were times where he was overwhelmed in the moment because he had a human soul and he had a human emotions. Maybe you don't think of Jesus this way. Matthew 26, 38, he said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Listen, Jesus knows what it feels like to come to the end of himself. Have you ever been there? It's like when you go to pray and you have no words. You go to pray and all you've got is tears. You come to the place, you know there's a God, but you don't even know how to talk to him. And Jesus found that in his own life where he came to a place where he said with loud cries and tears, he went to the Father. But yet he did it because of the reverence for God, but he was feeling everything we feel. Church, he was fully human, but he was also fully God. And we have to understand this. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 7 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I hear people say, I, I can't get my brain around the Trinity. I don't know that God asked us to get our brains around it as much as he said, put our faith in it. Because the best I can explain what it is trying to be fully man and fully God is this. And that is what he was when he came. He remained. He was God. And what he was not, he became. He became human to experience everything that we experience on this earth. He was not 50 percent man, 50 percent God. We were driving down the road the other day, going up in the mountains. We got behind a little car and, and back a big, bold, not even bumper sticker, window sticker said, God is my superhero. And I'm like, eh, wrong. Because a superhero hides his identity all the time. Only to change in the moments to rescue you. Jesus said, I'm God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will not be ashamed to be your God. I will identify you as my child when you identify me as your father. He is not some super. He's not Clark Kent waiting to put on those Superman suits. No, he was 100% man. He was 100% God, uniquely blended together. And yes, it takes faith to understand that. 
First Timothy 3.16 says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Church, I have never convinced anybody intellectually to follow Christ. Because at some point you got to step out by faith. At some point inside of you, it has to come this I know. He made me. He desires my life. I yield it to him. Church, we must recognize he was fully man. He was fully God. But because of that, he was also perfect in every way. I know that the scripts in Hollywood, I know that in blogs, I know that in other ways, people have tried to find ways to undercut this thought of the perfection of Christ, that he was just like us. So he, he must have been like us. He must have sinned. He must have done. Listen, the Bible makes it very clear in Hebrews 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Guys, we can't say that. We can't say that. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting next to a perfect person this morning, kind of punch them and said, yeah, right. They're nobody's perfect. But he is. And he came to experience everything we are. And he had the temptations and faced everyone. In fact, you can read about them in Matthew chapter 4, these temptations that Christ walked through. But we have to recognize he's the only perfect one. I'm talking to some this morning that you've turned that on its head. And somehow the struggle you have with your Christian faith is you're trying to be the perfect one. And you, and you feel that pressure. You, you feel that pressure always. I've got to be perfect. I've got to say always the right things, act always the right way. And basically that's what you're doing. You're going through life acting instead of being a child of God. Look, he was the perfect one. We must understand that he was perfect. And guess what? He knows that we are not. Praise God. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. It's a hope that when we do sin, he does understand. And that's why he invites us to confess our sin. And then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because he knows that we're not. And we must understand that because we've got to recognize, again, he is God. He is full of grace. He is so important to our lives. But that grace is not something that makes us perfect. Can, can I speak to the fellow perfectionists in the room this morning? Are, anybody would admit that today? You're probably taking notes right now. You're probably like conjugating the verbs here because I'm not perfect. Listen, don't despise how you're made. It's a gift of God, but don't let it control you and determine your relationship with God. God did not save you to perform for him. God did not save you to prove to him he saved one perfect person on this earth. God did not save you to, to, to change you in that way. He made you that way for a reason. But recognize he's the only perfect one. His grace is sufficient for you. Probably my favorite words in the Bible. His grace is sufficient for me. That's why in Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Church today, somebody's needing mercy from God, that which they don't deserve. And somebody today is needing grace from God, 
that which he just wants to give us that we can't earn, we can't buy, we can't, we can't prove that we deserve it. Guys, he's calling us to himself. Why does it matter if he's fully God and fully man? Why does it matter if we know who Jesus is? Because we have to understand this about him. Unless we recognize who he is, we'll never see that he totally understands us. And it's so important for us. To know that he understands us. I mean, I don't know about you, but does it irritate you when somebody comes into your life and they have no clue about your life and say, oh, I know exactly how you're feeling. I'm like, get out of my face. Nobody knows how I'm feeling but me. Oh, oh, pastor, I know it must be, that's such a unique life you live. I, I know how that must feel to have this on you. I'm like, you have no idea. Just as I have no idea what it feels like to be an engineer. God bless you. God did not call me to be one. Praise God. Amen, somebody. Because <laughs> then we'd really be a church of engineers, and that'd just be weird. So anyway, we've got to recognize this thing about God. He understands us, and, and we have to recognize this. He alone can relate to us and minister to us. Let me help you out, because I know it's awkward. We all get put in positions where we meet someone that's hurting, Right? I remember, I remember my first hospital visit, <laughs> you know, first time I go to visit somebody in the hospital, I'm like 24 years old. I'm healthy as a horse. And I thank God I had a mentor that said, whatever you do, don't say, I understand what you're feeling in this moment. And I learned back then a phrase that helps you out when you're dealing with hurting people. And it's true. I have no idea what you're feeling right now. I, I cannot even begin to understand what you're processing, but I know one that does. And I'm here to tell you, he's your hope. He's your strength. It's not as important the pastor showed up. You need God to show up. You need Jesus in your life. Church, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to act like we know everything. Why? Because there's one that does. So we recognize again, he has been made like us according to Hebrews 2. He's been made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Listen this morning, Jesus understands you. He understands you. He understands what you feel. He understands what you go through. People may not understand you. In fact, you may feel isolated by that very thought. I just wish somebody would understand me. You may never be fully understood on this earth by anybody. But God understands you. And he knows you. And he's with you. And he wants to be there as your God, as your king. Listen, he lived by this principle. He, he sought first to understand, then be understood. Yes, he came to be our savior. But before that, he was a son. He was a brother. He was a worker. He was a friend. But yes, he is our savior and our Lord. So there's nothing in our lives that we can ever say, well, he just doesn't get this. So what does he understand then? What does he understand that really matters to us? What does he understand that really makes a difference in our life? And as I was praying through that, I really, I really came to this one thought because it's something that we all experience in this life. He understands our pain. He absolutely understands pain. Pain which has been brought into our lives because of the curse of sin. Not that we sin, but because of sin that came into the world. We have a universal experience, and that is something he understands. Back in Isaiah 53, 53.3, the prophet said this. He said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Well, what kind of pain? I believe he understands our emotional pain, church. I believe he understands those nights where we, our, our minds won't shut off. 
I believe he understands those moments where we don't know how to think. I mean, you think about it. Everything we experience or possibly could experience, he did. Have you ever been looked down upon because of what you do for a living? He was. He goes and teaches. They, Isn't this just the carpenter's son? Who led him into the synagogue? What's he doing up here speaking? He, he, was, he was looked down upon because of his vocation. He, he knows what it feels like, somebody, to not meet everybody's expectations. We live for others' expectations so often. I had, I had to long ago, because I, I, I had that perfectionist side of me, that middle child part of me, and had to learn a long time ago, I live for one thing. And that's what I want to hear one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Been faithful over a few things. Let me make you ruler over much. Because I know this. I may not always be understood on this earth, but he gets me. Have you ever had friends who, who said, I'll be with you. Man, we're going to do life together. It's going to be amazing. And then when the moment life gets a little hard, they bail on you. Anybody? Show of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the church. It's a wonderful place. Peter, the rest of these turkeys may bail on you, Jesus, but I'll die for you. Peter, in the garden, whips out a sword. I don't know what the fisherman's doing with a sword and whacks the guy's ear off because they were coming to arrest Jesus. I'll die for you, only to have a little servant girl say, hey, weren't you one of his disciples? Curses her and says, I never even knew that man. Boy, talk about betrayal. He understands when your family doesn't think you're living up to your potential. He didn't follow in daddy's footsteps. He understands when they don't even believe in your calling. Do you remember early in Mark's gospel, Jesus was out teaching and, and leading and doing miracles? And the word says his family heard about it. They went out to seize him and they were saying, it's okay, he's out of his mind. I don't know what it is about parents. I don't know what it is. It freaks parents out. When somebody says, you know, I think I've got a call in the ministry. I have parents that will call and say, can't you talk my kid into being a doctor? <laughs> Why? A doctor can only patch us up, but Jesus can make us whole. Can't, can't you talk them into being a lawyer? Why? Contracts will always be broken, but salvation is a promise that will never be broken. I don't understand it, parents, but I do understand what it is when people don't necessarily believe even in your calling. Well, I, I just think they got a little emotional. I'm sure they'll grow up out of that. Believe in what God wants to do in you and through you is from him. Listen, he understands what it feels like to be betrayed and to be cheated on. I mean, Judas, one of his own disciples, comes up and kisses him on the cheek so that they can arrest him and ultimately crucify him. He understands church hurts somebody. He understands when religious leaders sought to hurt him. And I'm so tired of it. And I, and I hate it for you that have been hurt by the church because I believe the bride of Christ is beautiful and can be beautiful. It's just made up of us who are not perfect. But can I tell you, it's not going to be an excuse one day when we stand before the Lord and say, hey, do you know Jesus? No, because this church hurt me. He is worthy of it all. He understands what it feels like to be judged unjustly. He understands what it is where you couldn't even defend himself. He would not even speak when the leading priests and elders were making accusations against him. He remained silent. Jesus understands what it is to be mocked for your faith. They hung on the cross. King of the Jews. That wasn't a proclamation. It was something to laugh at. 
He was humiliated. He was, he was bullied. He was mocked. Listen, church, he understands us. Here's one. He understands what it feels like to lose someone you deeply love. Remember, he was out ministering and his cousin, John the Baptist, a man who was living to proclaim Christ, a man who was working for him was beheaded. And the word got to Jesus and the word says that it, it brought him to this place and that I believe is like he had the wind knocked out of him. He said he went to a desolate place to be alone. You've ever been there? Like you don't want to be around anybody. You don't have words to say. You, you stand in that place and people will try to comfort and you just want to go get out of my face. He was there. But not only was that, he knew what it was in the middle of his grief to have to step right back into ministering to people. understands. He understands us. He understands even in his pain, the pull of the earth to say, oh, we've got stuff that'll deaden that pain. Here, just drink yourself till you don't feel any more of it. Here, just smoke this, it'll go away for a moment. While he was on the cross, they offered him vinegar mixed with gall. They were going to try to deaden. He says, no. I've come to experience all the pain of this creation that one day I can say to them, I understand and I know where you are. And I picture him in heaven even right now praying over us to his father. And some of you may be sitting here today and say, yeah, but pastor, you haven't talked about my pain yet. We don't have enough time to talk about all the possibilities of pain. But can I tell you this, whatever it may be, he's elbowing the father right now saying, father, I get that. And that's hard. They need grace. They need mercy. Oh, he understands pain. He understands the pressure of being a teenage boy and walking in purity. He understands the allure of being a celebrity. He knows what it is to be intimidated, bullied, and mocked. But yet all of that brought him to that place where he is our perfect high priest. Oh, there's one other aspect of pain, and we're going to bring this down. And that's probably an amber alert. Talk about pain. He understands physical pain, somebody. He understands physical pain. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. And he understands. And why is it so critical that we understand that? Why is it that we come around that? Because if not, then pain becomes our identity instead of Christ. We, we, walk, we walk this earth as just an aberration of pain. We walk this earth as just a, 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 a prophet of pain. And, and that our pain inflicts on everybody else unless we surrender it to the Son of God. We must be born again. You see, here's the problem with pain. It is common to us all, and we recognize that, but we have to recognize also that Christ came as fully God, fully human to empathize with us, go to the cross, pay the price for the ultimate source of our pain, which is sin, and say, now give it to me. Because he bears it upon himself. You see, we're going to have pain in this world, but we can't live in it and let it become our identity. And here's why. It's going to be on the screen. Because when we live in our pain, it distracts us from our purpose. It distracts us from our purpose. 
men and women of faith, men and women that we read about in the histories, men and women who, who started movements, who, who were missionaries and people that did these great things for God. Can I tell you, they didn't live a different life than you other than their identity was in Christ. Many of them battled depression. Many of them battled fear. Many of them battled physical ailments. But their identity was not found in their inability. Their inability is found in his ability. And they put their trust in Jesus. Church, that's why it's so important at Hope that we believe you need to be known. Because pain isolates. Pain, pain puts you in a corner somewhere and says, nobody can understand. They don't hear about your pain. But oh, when you get a group of believers around you where you can be transparent and say, I just got to be honest, <laughs> I'm hurting. And if they're really believers, they don't blow you off and go, oh, well, who cares? No, they say, let's pray. Let's go to the one that can do something about it. Church, he understands. He's God. He's human. He's perfect. He understands. And finally this morning, and this is the critical place, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. Anything we don't understand, we don't trust. It's like the day my son showed up with his Tesla and said, let's go for a ride, Dad. Why don't you drive? I'm like, all right, I can't afford one of these babies, but I want to drive a Tesla. Until we got approaching a curve and he said, take your hands off the steering wheel, Dad. Let me show you what this baby can do. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I will meet Jesus someday face to face, just not today. All I know about Tesla is Elon Musk. I don't trust him. I don't trust, you know, but I'm saying. What we don't trust (laughs) comes because we don't understand it. If we think that Jesus doesn't get what we're going through, then we won't give it to him, right? If 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 we think he's just human, he's just like everybody else, he really can't do anything about it, then we won't give it to him. We, we say we trust in Jesus, but yet fully trust him. It says we give him everything. God, here's my pain. Here's my identity. God, here's my hopes, my future. I give it to you. Jesus never said understand it all. He said surrender it all. Because our relationship with Jesus isn't about controlling life. It's about surrendering life to him. Probably the first scripture I ever memorized, even as a child, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We struggle with the first part of that, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you trust him? Lean not into your own understanding. Do you trust him? See, guys, he does get it, so we've got to give it. But we have to try it. And for some of you this morning, I know this. You've got to try again. Maybe, maybe you said, oh, back in the day, I, I made a commitment to Christ and life just hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. And I, I, I just don't really trust him. Try again. Try again. It's kind of like praying. It'd be foolish for me to say, God, I, I pray today that somebody, somebody gives their heart to you. And then I never say another word about that. He says, pray without ceasing. In other words, keep pressing in, keep pressing in, keep pressing in. Not that God's wanting to draw you out. He's testing our heart to say, do I really trust you? And church, I believe on this day, as we answer this question, who is he to us? Someone today has got to recognize you found your identity in everything except him. 
Even even though you're walking, even though you read the word, even though you come to church, even though you sing the songs and you feel the emotion, your identity is in something else besides him. Today he's saying to you, are you are you are you mine? Is your pain mine? Do you trust him?